Good morning, everybody. You know, I love the, that the fact that we've committed to doing the uh, Apostles' Creed. I read a number of years ago. Does my voice sound weird? Sound good? Okay, are we trying to work through it? Just, it's me. It happened the first service, too. I must be sending out weird bio signals. Yeah. Yeah, let's just, is this better? That's better. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, I read a number of years ago a report uh, by a gentleman who uh, watches uh, particularly evangelical churches about the, uh, the study that was done about young people in evangelical churches, what they believe. And shockingly, they found out that uh, over 60% ha- did not believe in the virgin birth. Uh, there was a number of issues. Uh, they did not believe a-, a number of the critical issues of Christianity. And he was posing the question, is Christianity dying? And uh, as a result of some of those studies, one of the things that has been ascertained by thinkers, and I agree with them, is that one of the problems has been in evangelical churches particularly is that we have not been consistent declaring our faith. When we stand every Sunday morning very intentionally say, I believe, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. What we're trying to afford our families is a statement very clearly of what we believe. And in saying it, interestingly enough, it impacts the minds of children, the minds of teens, the minds of adults, and so that's why we pray. It's a good thing to say our faith. Amen? Okay. Securing the faith. Thank you for being here this morning. We're delighted that you're here. Um, most of you are probably aware, maybe not, that the prime real estate for church services are uh, the times between 10 and 11. So you're always going to have the most amount of people show up in a 10 o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service. Uh, you get into 12, it's a little uh, too late. I just saw a website where the church has a 12 o'clock service, but they announced an 11.59 service. <laughs> Very intentional, because 12 o'clock is just kind of a freak out for the head. So uh, the reason I'm saying that is I think you're aware of the fact that part of our mission uh, as a community is to reach more people. And uh, what's interesting is that most people that come to church for the first time, even if they haven't been people that grew up in church, or maybe they've been away for a long time and they come back to church, they're going to come to a 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock service. That's just the truth. So for those of you that are willing to uh, think about the notion of going to an earlier service or one of the alternative services, next week we're hoping to give you what that third service is going to be, either an evening service or whatever. We'll let you know what we're kind of landing on from what we've ascertained from talking with you and et cetera. But, But if... For some of you, I would love to ask you to pray and to consider moving to, at least for the next few weeks, the 9 o'clock service. And the reason I'm asking you uh, to do that is because it simply makes room for people that are going to drive through the lot and drive off. And uh, I know that, that most of us are committed to doing what we can to reach people for Christ. And those of you that are part of this community, you're already here. I know it's probably this is the most convenient service. But I'd love for you to consider to go to the 9 o'clock service for the rest of the summer, at least until we set up that third service. And in so doing, what you're helping us do is reach people, make room for people. And the good news is the 9 o'clock service particularly, it, it's it's pretty smart service to go to because you have your whole rest of the day. And you beat all the Methodists to Luby's. That's pretty sweet. So please um, consider that if you would, at least for the next several weeks, if you'd be willing to do that. We, we, we love to make room for people and, and to have a revival. <laughs> All right, this morning's gospel is the gospel of Mark. And I'm going to have you stand as we read it. The gospel of Mark. 
This is Jesus' story snippet about Jesus. It's a short text, just three verses. You remember last week we talked about the gospel story of how Jesus sent them out two by two. This week we're picking up the gospel narrative and they've returned and they're telling Jesus the story of their trip and their ministry. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and all that they had taught. And he said to them, watch, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were going or coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Lord, speak to us, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You know, when you read the, the Genesis narrative and God sort of sets up things, uh, in that story as it unfolds, one of the things that we see is that God had called human beings to actually engage in work. Work is a beautiful thing. It didn't become a kind of uh, negative thing where it, where it was by the sweat of our brow and caused pain until after the fall of humanity enters and sin distorts everything, including relationships, including, but including work. But uh, even though work is wonderful and it's a calling and it's something that's holy and something that, that all of us should engage in, here in our gospel text this morning, Jesus talks about rest and talks about leisure. Um, as, the story, as we understand Scripture, we, we discover that the same God who called us to work is the same God who calls us to rest. And that rest is a command. In fact, uh, it's, it, the Hebrews called it Sabbath, and it's one of God's top ten in the Decalogue, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Scripture that refers to that directly is Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are listed. And in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath. And by remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. When you keep something holy, it means that it's important. Not only that, when you keep something that's holy and you align with something that's holy, it helps you to be holy. And holiness simply means different. Different in the sense that we're reflecting and living in a way that's called by our Creator and obey that, that makes us look a little different that might be from a way that, might naturally, that we might naturally go. So this call to the Sabbath was something that God commands. Interestingly, we know, I mean, it's, it's a Sabbath day. We see it in the Old Testament. But as we enter into the New Covenant, we find out by Paul that you can keep it as a day if you want to, but it's more than that. It's not just a day. And so uh, what that's saying is it's a principle. So this morning, as we talk about Sabbath, I'm going to be quoting from from a rabbi, Abraham Herschel, who, who wrote, um, uh, Heschel, who wrote uh, about the Sabbath. He's got a great little book called The Sabbath. He's talking about a specific day. But we, as in the New Testament believers, understand that it's not just limited to a day. But the principle of rest is important. And so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of entering in and making of value the principle of rest so that you can obey the gospel. Okay? Um, the problem is, I think, that, that sometimes... We are a culture that just applauds production. Um, we, uh, when was the last time you, you, you heard somebody get, or saw somebody get patted on the back for taking it easy? <laughs> I mean, generally, <laughs> generally we just applaud people who are just out of control getting stuff done. Uh, but the reality is, if we're not careful, we'll be so productive in our, organ, in, in our orientation and so oriented to to-dos 
that we won't give a rip about rest, much less keep it holy in our lives. Uh, Rabbi Abraham says this, Heschel says this concerning the Sabbath, quote, when the Romans met the Jews and noticed their strict adherence to the law of abstaining from labor on the Sabbath, in other words, the Jews acted differently than the Romans, their only reaction was contempt. The Sabbath is a sign of Jewish indolence, is what they thought, or laziness, was the opinion that was held by the Romans. Now Heschel goes on to claim that rest is actually a gift of God to the human to human people, and that is the reward for the end of hard work. He goes on to say, in defense of the Sabbath, Philo, who was a, a Jew who lived uh, around Jesus' time, he was a spokesman of the Greek-speaking Jews of the area of Alexandria, he said, he wrote, quote, in defense of the Sabbath, on this day we are commanded to abstain from all work, not because the law inculcates slackness. Now he's arguing with the, with the Romans here, trying to defend Sabbath. But its object, rather, is to give man relaxation from continuous and unending toil. Continuous and unending toil. And by refreshing their bodies with a regular, ca regularly calculated system of remissions, backing out of things, to send them out renewed to their old activities. It's this notion of understanding a rhythm of life. That God himself works for six days and on the seventh day, he rested from his work. God wasn't tired. <laughs> he's entering in. He's showing and demonstrating through that story this notion of rhythm. That life has to have rhythms to it. And if you get out of rhythm, you're going to mess things up. You're going to get out of sorts. And he's suggesting here that continuous unending toil sort of pushes you over the edge to making life sort of listless. The same where you have this kind of numbness, and where you do things not with purpose. Because work was always to be intended from a, a centeredness of purpose and hopefulness and a, and a notion of calling. It was all supposed to come out of a, of a good place. But if you're not careful, if you don't rest, you'll forget the good place. <laughs> you'll forget the, the centeredness of, of, of hope or calling, and you'll just start doing to do. And we become like, did you ever see the movie The Night of the Living Dead? Scariest movie you'll ever see. I, I can't watch To this day, if you try to watch it, it freaks me out. It's just an old, kind of dorky film. It's in black and white, isn't it? Uh, and, but super scary! I don't know why. But they got these zombies in it. And they just keep coming. They're constantly doing things. They... They're, they're just into production, getting things done, but they're a little creepy because they're dead in their eyes, they're incessant in their activity, but there's no purpose. There's no real fulfillment. They're just going through the motions. I think that's easier to do than we realize. That if you're not careful, your everyday job, your everyday responsibilities, your everyday relationships, the, uh, the to-dos that you have to do, the accomplishments that you're required to make, if you're not careful, you, if you don't rest, you'll have this unending, continuous activity, and you will become zombie-esque. There's a story I read uh, about a gentleman, uh, Tilden Edwards. He's, he describes this rest-deprived state, this zombie-like state. 
that, that seems horribly familiar. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Quote, imagine this, this being used. It is late evening. We're alone, perhaps for the first time since we woke. Bits and pieces from the day dart in and out of our consciousness. Little desires and fears for tomorrow scatter us further. The more thoughts and feelings that rush through our minds, the more complicated and anxious-ridden life seems. Maybe TV will help sell us down. Or the newspaper, or some work, or sex, or food. Less may gnaw at us then. We think we need more. Life stays put for a moment. We feel in control again. We're doing something, anything. But the after effect of doing leaves us less anxious, but more drugged. We've exchanged a gnawing anxiety for a dulled sensibility. Fragments of life whirl around and round without a center. We wake tired and struggle out for another round. You and I share such a life. It is usually bearable. It even seems normal out of sheer habit. Sometimes it's even fun, but it's usually unfulfilling. And then he says brilliantly, we are grown for more than that. Somehow, if we're not careful and we're overrun by our to-dos and overrun by our responsibilities, you will get to the place where when you're by yourself, all you can think of doing is coming up with another doing. And you forget that you're a human being, you're only a human doing, and there's no centeredness. And if you're not careful, you'll just run to more, trying to fill your life with stuff, but it's not very fulfilling. I hope that doesn't describe you as much as at times it's described me. The need here is for Sabbath. The gospel is commanding us, hey, Stop, <laughs> chill out, go away, and let's rest. But resting oftentimes requires faith because we a lot of times don't think we can possibly rest. Interestingly, the Jews who were a, an agrarian culture, they farmed, they would, uh, God told them uh, in Exodus 24 and you know, I grew up in a, in, a, in a farming community in Wisconsin and understood this very well from seeing my friends grow up. It says, six days you'll labor. On the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest you must rest. But what struck me about this text, and, and it, it, it's true about the Jews, is that they were commanded to rest even in plowing season, even in harvest season. And if you know anything about farming, when you're harvesting, one day can mean a great loss. You've got to be on it. And what God is saying to them is, this has to be so important to you, even when it looks like you're doing something, that you're stopping to do something that you know you're responsible to do and actually looks like it's going to hurt you, do it anyway. Rest anyway. Take a moment and rest. Sabbath. Trust me. I will take care of you, is what he's saying. It's a very radical thought. In fact, in Deuteronomy 5, he says, on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, neither you, not your kids. Not your manservant, maidservant, not your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, not your alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. What he's saying is, you can afford to rest because God takes care of you. He's proven that he takes care of you. There's proof in the pudding. 
Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day, deciding to rest, take moments of rest when you know you need them, when in the, even in the midst of very busy schedules is something that requires faith. It's a defiance of stress. You're standing against it. It's, we rest because we believe there's a God who cares for us, is what the gospel is saying to us this morning. Back to the rabbi who wrote on this in this regard. He said, quote, He who wants to enter the holiness of the day, of the Sabbath he's talking about, must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce and being yoked to toil. He must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and will survive without your help. (laughs) Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth on the Sabbath. We especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul, our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day we try to dominate the self. I love that. Now again, as a Jew, he's talking about this full day. As Christians, I think what we need to understand is it's still a principle. It may not be a full day for you, but you ought to have Sabbath moments. You and I ought to learn how to snag and snatch in the course of our busy, harried, helter-skelter lives. Moments of silence, moments of rest, which means, I think, that we have to give up the hope of being perfect in every way. Because Sabbathing precisely pushes against perfection. You don't have to. I don't have to be a perfect dad or a perfect mom. We don't have to be perfect employers or perfect employees. In fact, the truth of the matter is there is a, you have to be good. You have to be good. We're supposed to be good at what we do. But there's a difference between good and perfect. The gap is quite large, actually. And in fact, the whole notion of perfection is simply an illusion that torments. So somehow in the midst of our responsibilities, deadlines, appointments, to-dos, you and I need to create Sabbath places. We need to find places of rest. And the truth is, is what works for you is rest. And what works for me is rest may be completely different. But we have to find those things out. What might be rest for you might be work for me and vice versa. And only we can tell how much is enough or what is too much. Right? We need to search that through in our own hearts. But there are some common factors. There's a, a number of years ago I read this description of a guy that felt burned out. It was actually found himself stumbling into some some strangling depression. And uh, his name is Arthur Gordon, and he wrote about this time, quote, I came to one of those black periods that many of us encounter from time to time, a sudden drastic dip in the graph of living. When everything goes stale and flat, energy wanes, enthusiasm dies, out come the zombies. Every morning I would clench my teeth and mutter, today will take on some of its old meaning. But the barren days went by and the paralysis grew worse. He talked about how he bumped into his um, family friend who was also a physician. And the doctor told him, his friend doctor told him, he said, listen, he said, I think I have a cure for you. 
They said, well, what do you want me to do? Got some drugs? <laughs> Something to help me out here? And there's nothing wrong with that. If you need help, get what you need. Man, thank God for help. I'll take help in any way. I'm just fighting against whatever's against my life. If I got to pop it or whatever. <laughs> Under doctor's orders. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so he said, uh, the doctor said, listen, he said, I think you need some alone time, but I, I'm going to give you three things I want you to do. And he wrote on three different, on a prescription pad, three different pages, three different things that he was supposed to do. And he said, when you go, you need to go by yourself. They live by, uh, on the Gulf of Mexico. He said, go find a lonely place on a beach. And he said, go there in the morning, bring some lunch, food, snacks with you, but go alone, go to an isolated area, and stay there for th- at least three hours and do each of these things in three consecutive days. And the guy kind of looked at him and said, all right, you know. So he went out the first day and landed, found a place on the beach, and, uh, and got out of his car, and he opened up the first prescription page. And it said, listen carefully. He, he said, it made me really mad. How am I going to do this for three hours? Listen carefully. What am I going to listen to? I'm on an abandoned beach. But he said, I just sort of pushed myself into it because I told him I did. And he said, first, you know, after I got through my mind a little bit, I started hearing the water, the waves coming in. And then he said, he'd hear little gusts of wind and start catching seagulls and and just little sounds. He'd look. And he said, as he entered, he was in there for a while. He said, all of a sudden, after a while, I mean, the first few minutes seemed like hours. And then all of a sudden, time started passing faster. And he said, he he said, I found myself outside of myself. And those condemning voices, those mean, treacherous, hateful voices that were inside my soul, I lost touch with them. And he said, I, he said, I felt just a, just a tad of rest. The next day I got out, went to the same area, and I opened up the second thing that he was supposed to do, the second, the, the second part of the prescription. And all it said was, think about the good times. Remember the good times. And so for the next three hours, he just walked up and down the beach and thought about, you know, he struggled to think through the good parts of his life and then started tapping into them, meeting his spouse and having his kids and some of the things that had happened in his life and some of the places where he was stuck where God unstuck him and some of the good friendships that he had had. And he just said it just just started doing something in him that was surprising, unexpected. On the third day, when he got there, the note simply said, write your, he got to the beach, the note simply said when he opened it, write your problems near the water on the sand. And so he went down by the water, and he's writing all of his problems. And as he's doing that, of course, if you know you're by the water, the water comes in, comes up to your stuff, starts washing it away, and somewhere along the way he thought to himself, you know, I've been thinking my problems are in concrete, written in concrete. And they've been permanent. They're in my thinking. They're never going to change. But really, all the stuff that's worried me, they will pass. The really important stuff, the good stuff, is eternal. It'll stay. And he said, it 
completely shocked him that by doing those simple things, listening outside of himself, remembering the good of the past, writing his worries on the sand, that somehow it restored him. The depression lifted, and he started finding an internal zest to face his world. This is really the anatomy of a Sabbath. It's pausing to listen outside yourself. It's trying to remember and uh, you know the good stuff that has happened in your life or that God has done in your life. And then it's realizing that all the stuff that you're stressed with is really temporary. That it's stuff that is not going to endure. Now here's the good news about these kinds of moments is you don't they can be snagged in snippets. Yeah? Uh, they can be caught in, in little things that you do. Uh, you know, for instance, you can when you wake up in the morning and before anybody else is awake or before you even before you even stir, you can as you wake up, just stop for a second and listen. Sometimes you can hear a verse in your heart. Not by might, not by power, by my spirit. You can hear a verse like it's from me, through me, or not from you, through you. How's it go? In him, through him. How's it go? From him, through him, to him are all things. It's a cool verse. From him, through. Imagine waking up and before you stir, thinking, listening for a verse, listening for a thought. From him, through him. To him are all things. God be the glory. This isn't about me. This is about you. This isn't about what I come up with. It's about what you draw me into. This isn't my story. It's I'm a part of your story. I mean, whatever you can think of, God, you love me. Is what I do one thing when I'm laying here pretending I'm asleep. You're for me. You're already awake. You're already watching me. You know when I wake up. You're watching me. You know when I lie down. Anything that you can listen. I'm telling you, just snagging a little moment and 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 then being thankful that you woke up, that you weren't just dead. You know, there's hope for tomorrow. You might wake up again. <laughs> right? And recognize that whatever you're facing today is written in the sand. These kinds of things. Or it might be that, you know, taking a few minutes with a cup of coffee before you head to the office, just in silence. Not with a paper, just quiet. Maybe going radioless in your drive to work. Maybe it's, it's taking a few minutes of solitude in the midst of your day. Do a little power nap or just sit in quiet somewhere. Some of you that have... Kids swirling all around you, maybe the only place you can get is when you slip into the restroom and spend an extra two minutes in there while the kids are scratching at the door and howling. You just say, you're just written in the sand to me. You will be gone. The nest will empty. <laughs> maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's stopping through the day and looking at the picture on your desk or maybe some photos on your phone and remembering when that was and thinking about that cool moment or that person that means something to you. Maybe it's you singing a hymn or reading some verses or praying a scripture sometime or a few times through the course of the day. I don't know what it is. But maybe it's you taking a short walk after dinner. Five minutes. And just listen and remember and realize your stuff is temporal. One of the things Gail likes to do is before we go to bed, she'll slip out at night. Sometimes she'll, she'll see the stars. Just a few moments. A few moments. Whatever it is that you do, realize that you need to hunt for this 
or your life will grow listless and flat and tasteless, and you'll have this vague sense that something is missing. It'll just hang over you. You won't be able to put your finger on it because you need to learn to rest. Rest, according to this gospel, is a beautiful thing. It's a divine gift. We need to unpack it. We need to hold it. We need to treasure it. We need to figure out how to practice it. If you use it well, life will grow sweeter. One more quote from the rabbi. Quote, In a world where not everyone will do great things or achieve amazing success, great success, God has given us the capacity to find greatness in the everydayness. Lunch can be a hurried refueling, the equivalent of an auto racer's pit stop, or if you want it to be, it can be an opportunity to savor the miracle that dirt, rain, seeds, and human imagination can work on your taste buds. We just have to be wise enough to know how to recognize the miracle and not rush headlong past it in our search for something important. The good life, the truly human life, is based not on a few great moments, big moments, gigantic moments, heroic moments, but they're based on many, many little moments. It asks of us that we relax in our quest long enough to let those moments accumulate, ponder them so they can add up to something, a good life. Hmm. I'm inviting you to join me this morning in obedience to the gospel, to fight for the rest of your life. Finally, the Sabbath principle. It's a normative principle. In other words, it's what you do. It's what you're called to do. And when you notice you're freaking out, burning out, you need to start grasping for more Sabbath rests. But that being said, it doesn't mean that the Sabbath is a legalism, where all of a sudden, now you're supposed to read your Bible, you're supposed to pray, you're supposed to do the dishes, you're supposed to do this, and now you've got to rest. <laughs> it's not a to-do. It's not a legalism. And if you are spending time and trying to get your life together and you just even try to do some rest and something blew up, that's okay. It's okay that when life sort of falls apart. In fact, in this very gospel text, let's close as we read this, Gospel Mark we just read, the apostles gathered around Jesus. He told him, they told him that what they had done, what they had taught, and he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to be in a deserted place all by themselves. And it was so sweet and wonderful. No, no, that's not what happened. But now many, they saw them going to go out into a quiet place, be by themselves. They recognized them. And they started chasing them (laughs) on foot from all the towns that arrived ahead of them. And Jesus goes ashore. He sees the great crowd. He has compassion on them because they were like a sheep without shepherd. And he started teaching them many things. You headed for Sabbath because it's the, it's the principle of it. You always head for Sabbath when you need to, but sometimes when you get there, it doesn't work out the way you thought. It's okay. You just need to move toward it again when you get an opportunity. I mean, some of you, you know, you're, you know, your parents, you, some of you are working two jobs, and you have kids. Some of you, you know, just just different kind of scenarios. And I, I get it. I mean, Gail and I raised four kids, and you know, there are times when you 
finally get the kids down, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be just a wonderful, just, oh, I just want to rest. Let's talk a little, play a game, or watch a show or something together. And you start doing it, and the night's starting to spin into a beautiful moment, and all of a sudden, rah, rah, and then one of them's got a fever, and you're up till four in the morning, and you've got to get up at seven. What is that? Torment. Is what it is. Is what it is. You just buck up, you jump in, you smile, and sometime during the day you try to snag some Sabbaths. <laughs> right? Sabbath moment here or a moment there. It's not it, Jesus said it this way. Man was not made for the Sabbath. In other words, you were not made to be forced into a Sabbath. But Sabbath was made for people. It was made to be a, a, a place of grace and a place of blessing for you. So this isn't a legalism. It's a calling to a principle. And so I want to encourage you, commit in your heart to Sabbath, but realize it may not always work out, but that's okay. Keep committing to the Sabbath. Amen? Praise the Lord. Obey the gospel. Okay, David and Kate, why don't you come up here? Um, this is their last Sunday, and uh, I cannot tell you, I, 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 I am, I am, I'm schizophrenic on this. Uh, one, because they're, you know, Dave is my son, Kate's our daughter-in-law, and they have been nothing but a joy to us, particularly because they produced three children, which I gave them a reward for producing. I told all the kids, whoever produces the first child gets a reward. <laughs> I thought I was kidding. They didn't think I was kidding. So anyway. But they have three wonderful kids, and they've been such a joy to Gail and I, and such a, a wonderful grace to the church. And uh, really, this is a hard thing for us for them to go. And yet at the same token, this is a great opportunity for them because this church, church of about 6,000 people, uh, David has been involved with the youth here and all that that, all that that requires because when you're in the youth ministry, you know, one of the most important things, you have to stay connected with uh, the people that you're serving and, and they, you know, one of the things that means night and day when you're dealing with, with uh, that particular uh, demographic. And so there's, it, it's, it's really a wonderful thing for them as a couple, for them as a family, for him to not be in youth ministry, but to be involved really with just the music area. And he's very gifted in that area, as you know. Kate's also a professional musician. So um, they're going to be able to, to explore that a little bit and do that. So we're excited for them, excited for them doing it, and hate them because they're doing it. But David. Um, on behalf of Kate and I, we, we just want to thank you, if you're a parent, um, for supporting us and for... Um, allowing us to love on your kids every Wednesday and Thursday night. Um, it has been the best four years of our lives that we've been here at Sanctuary. And uh, it was a very hard decision, but at the same time, we just felt that release from youth ministry that we, I really only feel like, I, I did not want to be a youth pastor, but we wanted to pastor your kids. Um, we love your children very much. And uh, this last Thursday was my last Thursday speaking a sermon there, but I'd like to read a text from Colossians that is kind of my prayer over your children uh, as we leave. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have a great endurance and patience and giving joyfully thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of the light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have loved your children so much and we have preached for the last four years that they are the beloved of God. We pray that they would hear that voice. that They do not try to earn that, but that they are that. We pray that they would know that they are children of the light and they would step into the light and they would love you as their children. And also, years from now, that we would see the fruit that we've poured in for the last four years. So our prayer is that over your children. Thank you so much for supporting us and for loving us. We love you guys so much. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for giving your gifts to us, you guys, for the last four years. And thank you. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask you two to come down here, and we're going to pray for you as you go. And, and I want to invite some of you to come forward and pray with us um, as we pray for them. So come on down. Father, We just want to say thank you for the fact that you are the one who is the author and the producer and the director of this life we live, this play that we're in. We just want to say as as your acting agents that we just want to perform and do what you call us to do, whether great, whether small. And we just ask you, God, as these two go out, we just thank you for the role they played here. We thank you for their obedience to you. We thank you for their voice in this context. We believe they've been an obedient voice, and we believe their voice will carry in this community. We thank you for that. We ask you, God, as they step into uh, scene two of this drama that they're in, that your hand will be on them mightily and that that you will guide them and direct them and give them space and a voice in a way that matters. Bless their hands, what they touch. Let grace come upon them. Bless their family, their kids. Especially those kids. <laughs> and uh, thank you that goodness and mercy follows them. That in the wake of their exit that we will sense goodness and sense mercy and have nothing but thanks for them. We trust you as we release them into your hands and trust you to guide them and direct them and trust you to protect them. Thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, Amen.
Amen. So please greet them and, and uh, cake with them and throw cake at them. And, and if you see those little babies, I got a set of twins and a little baby. Steal them and give them to me after the service. <laughs> Grandpa and Grandma. Gammy. Gammy Gail. Let's lift our voices as we close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. to you. Have a wonderful day. See you next week. See you next week at 9 o'clock.